Wondering how to use data in your business? Well, check out episode 26 with Scott Nelson. He is the CEO of Sweetbridge, and they have been named the most innovative use of blockchain in supply chain for 2018. Definitely an episode not to be missed as they are a nonprofit with a team of global citizens looking to make a huge impact in the industry. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I hope wherever you are in the world listening to this episode that you are having a great day. This show is by a supply chain professional for supply chain professionals. And here is today's supply chain question. So we can learn, laugh and be successful together. Remember, if you want to be featured on the show, if you want to get your questions answered by some of the experts that have been on the show, remember to send me your questions or your supply chain stories to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. So this question comes from Macy Osmond. Thank you, Macy, for sending this in. She says, starting in January 2019, I will begin writing my master's thesis. I am super nervous about picking a good topic and writing a quality thesis. I would like to know either from you or from others in the industry, does your thesis impact future employment, either negatively or positively? Do you have any advice on how how to approve writing a thesis, and are there any topics that may be of interest? Now, Chris Kaplis, and he is from MIT, the Supply Chain Program. He was back on the show in season one, so go check out his episode. He says, my two cents. Although different schools have different approaches here, the topic of a thesis in a master's program has very little impact on employment process prospects, in my opinion. If you can select a topic, pick something you are genuinely interested and curious about. My master's thesis dealt with commuter preferred arrival times in Austin, Texas. The topic meant nothing to me, but was important to my supervising and sponsoring faculty member. But it allowed me to learn how to conduct research, write a technical report, and conduct a wide range of quantitative analysis. Topic schmopic. Carl Mandrode, he's the professor of logistics and supply chain management over at Georgia College. He's also from season one, so go check him out. He says that Chris's response was both concise and correct, so he agrees with him. He says the topic doesn't matter, but what does matter is the sponsoring faculty. They will help make your career more than any thesis you will write. And then I got a third one for you, Macy, from Andrea. She's a statistician from APQC, and she was actually on the show twice. Twice in season one. So go and check that out. I am going to give you the top answer um, from her answer, and then I'll have the rest on the website page that I will be creating. And that is letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listeners. She says, Andrea says, my advice is the same as Chris and Carl's. As they have pointed out, it is important to pick a topic that you have a strong interest in because it makes the thesis process more enjoyable. Since you have to defend your thesis to your sponsoring committee, it will also help you do so with ease. When thinking about your topic, I would also recommend building a strong sponsor 
sponsoring committee that may have some knowledge in the topic area to provide constructive feedback and challenge any holes in your research. She doesn't believe that the topics impact employment prospects, and she goes on to say that employees look at the overall picture of an individual when making hiring decisions like education, applied experience, soft skills. And she talks about a recent APQC uh, research that they've done over the years um, that they continue to find that employers look for prospects with the strategic thinking and problem solving skills, as well as the ability to collaborate across functions and the ability to communicate effectively. If you want to see more of those answers, remember to go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listeners. Now, today we have supply chain royalty in the house for my Woman in Supply Chain series part nine. Can you guess who it is? Well, I'll give you a hint. On social media, she is called the Supply Chain Queen, and she just picked up the king handle as well. Her name is Sherry Hanish, and she is passionate about sustainability, innovation, and all things supply chain, which makes her the perfect addition to this series. Sherry Hanish approaches supply chain management with a high-energy, intrinsic flair for innovation and the unique ability to influence and lead complex transformations and integration. She is passionate about sustainable supply chains, servant leadership, employee engagement, new ways of working, and emerging trends, including blockchain technology. Affectionately named Supply Chain Queen by close colleagues and clients, she has an organic following across social channels and professional networks. Her strengths include leading change that disrupts the norm, influencing the adoption of reimagined supply chain best practice, and optimizing systems, process, and people to increase top and bottom line growth. Sherry holds two credentials from Rutgers Rutgers Business School with highest distinction, a Master of Science in Supply Chain Management, Mini MBA Supply Chain in a Digitized Network. She is also a Master of Liberal Arts candidate at Harvard University in Sustainability with an emphasis on the circular economy, which you will find her um, posts on LinkedIn. She writes a lot about the circular economy. So make sure that you connect with her after this episode and uh, check those articles out. Additionally, she is a licensed project management professional and Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt. So without further ado, welcome Sherry to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hi, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. And I am super excited to learn more about you and how you are making waves in supply chain. But first, tell us about your journey to success. Where did you start? How has your career progressed? And what are you doing now? Sure. Well, I actually started in wine and spirits working in wholesale distribution. And I Ironically, I always say that I stumbled on supply chain. So I, I was actually in an IT role um, and I didn't even really know a lot about supply chain until uh, the company that I was working for, one of our key trading partners, wanted to improve collaboration in planning, inventory and fill rates. So an opportunity presented itself for me to transition from IT to supply chain and essentially become part of a small team that formed the supply chain strategy around mega processes, analytics, and it became the foundation for larger implementations like sales and operations planning and MRP. 
Uh, as my role grew in that organization, I supported the chief supply chain officer for some time. And in that long period, I grew up, I got married, I had kids, and I began, quote, adulting. <laughs> so um, it was it was during my first year in grad school that I realized I wanted to learn more about manufacturing and Lean Six Sigma. You don't get that in wholesale distribution, particularly I wanted to focus on global environments where I would have an opportunity to lead large-scale transformations. So I transitioned to WR Grace. They're based out of Columbia, Maryland, a very large specialty chemical company. And my focus in that role was to develop supply chain strategy and really transform the entire supply chain. I learned a lot I became a PMP, a Lean Six Sigma green belt. I was able to lead very large-scale SAP implementations, a sourcing and procurement transformation, and start to dive into talent and engagement initiatives. Um, While I was at Grace, I also completed my first master's in supply chain at Rutgers Business School. And this is where I had another aha moment and discovered the green value chain and sustainability which led me to pursue my second master's at Harvard, where I'm focusing on sustainable supply chains and circular economy. Um, So that brings me up to this year. I was chugging along at Grace and received an unsolicited message from a leader at JDA. Um, As you know, JDA is a, a leader in supply chain technology. And someone who I respected as a thought leader described to me the company's strategy over the next 10 years, and I loved it. Uh, It all happened very quickly, and I started a couple months ago as Director of Strategic Services in North America. I'm helping companies all over the world in manufacturing transform their end-to-end supply chain and relationships with trading partners. There you have it in a nutshell. (laughs) That is awesome. I just want to congratulate you and um, just say that your journey to success sounds so amazing and it's going to be very, very inspiring to the listeners. And so thank you so much for all that you contribute to supply chain. And I think we're going to hear more about that as we go into more into the interview. Yes. So let's talk about your passion and your love for supply chain because Um, If listeners are not following you, obviously, on LinkedIn or Instagram, they need to start following you. And I'm going to have all of that information on the show notes page on the website. But let's and, and it shows through on all of your posts, you know, the authenticity and your love and passion for supply chain. So what do you love and are passionate about supply chain? Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, so you brought up uh, the brand. I, I knew we'd get to it. <laughs> um, when I started at Rutgers, the supply chain queen nickname was born. So, you know, peers, my husband's associates, people would affection- affectionately call me the supply chain queen. I didn't think anything of it. I'm super passionate about supply chain, like you mentioned. I love learning. I love bringing people together in really tough situations. And so the nickname was born. And um, I think part of that, since we're speaking to, um, you know, a younger audience and and how do you develop yourself over, you know, what can turn into a 35 year career and become a leader in this space? I think it comes down to 
you know, you want to build a good reputation, great design and strategy coupled with grit to get things done and really, really believe in the power of team. And that momentum builds. And the reality of it is when this nickname was born, I knew absolutely nothing about social media or branding. I didn't even set up my Twitter and Instagram accounts. My husband did. And all he said was just post once a week. So I did. I posted what was on my mind, you know, and that was fueled by my passion and people started following me. And um, my platform really focuses on supply chain, best practice, leadership, talent and engagement and sustainability. So, you know, as my base grew, it was flattering because CEOs, CSCOs, students, professionals in the field, and even people who were just curious about supply chain began reaching out. And I learned so much from the Supply Chain Queen Network every day from questions about strategy. Hey, Sherry, I have a job interview. You know, what should I say or focus on to have an edge? Um, people ask me questions about leadership and balance as a working mom in a field that's comprised mostly by men, you know, and teaching really how to get that work-life balance and how to be the best person that you can be. And, and having a brand for me wasn't enough. I, I started thinking about how can I use my passion for supply chain and sustainability to build a better world world. And literally, a week after my brand trademark cleared, I received a call from Panasonic to be an integrated supply chain expert and influencer at CES 2018. That was in January of this year. And until that point, Sarah, I never really understood the power of a brand and the power of a network. So in full disclosure, I take zero credit for all of it. I'm super humbled every day and so appreciative of the folks just like you and I, who believe in adding value in all things to yourself, to others, and to the world around you. Absolutely. And I love that. And I, I am so glad that, you know, we're able to showcase women in supply chain that are just passionate about it because it's super, super important. Like you said, it's a pressure filled industry. It's a very male dominated industry. And uh, there's a lot that we can learn from each other. So you talked about in your passions, you know, um, that innovation and co-creation in supply chain. I think maybe you and I might think similarly on the co-creation side, um, except I think I call it collaboration. Um, I think collaboration is a huge, huge thing in, in supply chain right now and something that we definitely need to focus on that team and working together um, because the industry is, has typically and traditionally been a little bit disjointed. So why don't you talk about that innovation and co-creation piece? Sure, sure. And I mean, if we just step back for a minute, you have to think like, why supply chain? Why is supply chain the perfect conduit for innovation and co-creation? There's always something new. It's evolving at the speed of light. There are so many complexities in system dynamics and human behavior that the more supply chain evolves, and as a supply chain professional, the more you become an eternal student. 
So this constant state of learning, learning from each new project, new person, new advance in the field, and always recognizing that there is so much more that we haven't even scratched the surface yet is really the foundation for supply chain innovation. Um, technology, I will say, and I'm probably going to get a little pushback from my current employer. I think that technology is the enabler. People and good process, absolutely number one, uh, number one focus in supply chain initiatives. Um, it shouldn't overshadow excellent process or the importance of having a skilled and value valued supply chain organization. And that's my opinion. You know, there has to be balance and in innovation and in initiatives that are transformative, where you're modernizing and moving toward this digitalization. So um, in terms of in innovation, I think one gap is we need to consider waste in our supply chain. How are we aligning technological advances with considerations of people, planet, and profit? You mentioned co-creation or collaboration. And I love that concept. I love the concept of trading partners working together so there's a win-win and a better experience and outcome for all parties. And like you mentioned, you'll see the theme and hashtag whole team winning in many of my posts. So the idea of consumers participating in innovation and design of new products, I'm all in. I'm all for engaging stakeholders, making them a part of product creation and product development. I actually covered at CES earlier this year what purchasing looks like in 2025 in its complete pers personalization, where the customers involved and considered during every stage of a supply chain process, from order point in design to manufacturing to inspection and quality check prior to staging the delivery to the customer in an automated warehouse environment. The supply chain of the future will give customers complete transparent visibility and communication. It's, it's white glove service, if you will. This will be the norm. And many consumers want to be a part of this process and they're willing to pay for it. It makes total sense that the consumer trend is headed in this path. You know, we have a growing middle-class population in a culture where the practice of mass consumerism shapes the majority of our purchases. In terms of innovation, end-to-end -end personalization will be the new norm. And what does this mean for supply chain? The marriage of supply chain relationships, like you mentioned, value creation activities and performance with upstream and downstream actors. All of this leads to optimal outcomes. We're going to get a reduction in costs like on-hand inventory because we're moving to a make-to-order environment, reduction in returns and reverse logistics, and, and so on. Wow, I really love that. I actually, um, I haven't heard that before. And I think that is such a great insight into the future. And I mean, 2025 is really not that far away. I mean, we're only talking almost six years from now. Um, when you were delivering that um, talk, did you have a lot of people, you know, sort of wide eyed looking at you like, oh, my goodness, how are we going to do this? Absolutely. And, and uh, just to give you more context, so the RFID checkout solution that I not only demoed, but I actually was able to speak with some of the engineers who designed it. 
it's using artificial and artificial intelligence and deep learning um, combined with an aging mechanism. So not only does it have facial recognition, but it remembers your purchases when it comes to uh, NPI, new product launches. It takes your point of sale data, marries it with your consumption history, obviously, and then will make smart, re- smart recommendations for you. And because it has that aging capability, it tailors your preferences as you age, which I found absolutely mind-blowing. That demand signal is then shot over to manufacturing in a micro-manufacturing environment. So, you know, very small lot sizes where it's completely customized. Whatever you're ordering can be literally manufactured in very short lead time. It's all automated. There's a video feed where you get a link, you look at your purchase, you preview it before it's tagged for delivery using RFID technology, and you and you track your purchase all the way to your front door. And this is happening right now. This isn't this isn't pie in the sky. This is real. And I've seen it and, and it's fantastic. It's it blown me away. Wow, that's gonna take expectation like to a completely another level. Um, Cause you know, right now we're talking about the expectations um, being heightened by the Amazon model. Right. Exactly. And this is just going to take it to a whole nother level. So all my listeners, if you're listening right now, make sure to take a look at this and consider this in your future, because this is going to be extremely, extremely important. I actually have the demo on my website when we when we post this interview. Um, they can go to supplychainqueen.com and actually watch the demonstration. It's pretty amazing. Great. Okay. Yeah, that would be amazing. So let's talk a little bit more about your journey to success. Let's talk about some role models, some mentors that you had in your career that and why like what have they done for you how did you find them and why are they so important okay role models so i would say my current role model right now is laura Ceseri for sure um working with her on blockchain research in her network of networks consortium so we're basically building use cases that support b2b interoperability and supply chain standards that's been a fantastic experience and what i like most about laura is that she has a deep and profound love for supply chain like me and her heart is in the right place so she writes for the end user There's no politics. There's no check under the table from vendors. There's no BS. And what I've found, just as a lessons learned for some of the younger women that are listening, when it comes to the supply chain space of innovation and collaborating, you have huge trading partners who say, yes, let's shake hands and become fast friends. But the elements of human behavior and competition ultimately impede real progress. So Laura, you know, she's been a bit of a disruptor and I like that. I like that she doesn't let, um, you know, hidden agendas interfere with progress that she's making in her independent research. Um, Another mentor is one of my professors who leads the MSSCM program at Rutgers. His name is Dr. Rudy Lushner. Um, he wrote an article recently in the Harvard Business Review on fintech 
very, very bright. And again, you'll, you'll find that I gravitate towards disruptors and people who challenge the current status. Um, he meets supply chain with more questions than answers. And he always challenged me to question everything. And in that questioning to also consider the human element of change that, you know, supply chain isn't just process and technology and automation, that there are people that are involved. And I really love that about him. Um, let me see one more. I admire Daniel Stanton. Um, Daniel is uh, the author of Supply Chain for Dummies. He is a super smart guy, very humble and open-minded. And what I like about all three of these people, the older I get, I'm more impressed with humility and how someone treats others and their ability to learn and remain open-minded as our field evolves. So, you know, just passing on advice be less impressed with hierarchies and long titles and self-importance. You, you see where I'm going with this. Um, value every person you meet. Um, there are others in my life that I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting, but, you know, focus on what's important in modeling the behaviors and qualities that, that who you would like to become. Not so much, oh, this person is chief supply chain officer of the free world and, you know, one day I want to sit on some ridiculous mountain alone with my title. Like that's not leadership. Leadership is about inspiring others and giving to others and judging your success by what you give, not by what you take. That's the lesson learned. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's definitely a few things to, to learn from that statement because this industry is becoming more and more relationship based. And you're right. It's not about the titles. And when you're taking a look at the people that you surround yourself, I mean, what is that quote? You are the culmination of the five people that you surround yourself with. Right. And so knowing who you are, you know, where you want to be, how you want to be treated and how you want people to take a look at yourself. Um, you know, as you go through your career and as you're looking for role models and mentors, um, it's really, really important to keep that in mind as well, because it's just going to make your experience and your journey to success that much more fulfilling. And I think I might have to uh, hit you up for a few introductions because they sound like definitely people I would like to have on the show. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share. Great. Thank you. So let's get into a few challenges. Um, we all face challenges on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure, uh, you know, in your journey to success, the path is never straight. <laughs> so what challenges have you faced and how have you overcome them? Right. So, well, the first immediate challenge is front of mind is being a working mother. I have three little sweethearts my oldest son just turned nine on Sunday and I have a four-year-old daughter and a th another son who's three years old. And I feel guilty sometimes when I have to travel and I, I make sure that when I'm with them, it's quality time and I unplug. No cell phone. You know how you sit there at the playground and you look around and you see parents like looking down. I don't want to be that parent. Um, 
I draw very clear lines around important school events, holidays, birthdays, so on and so on. And when you, you might find it to be challenging in a work environment because you would feel uncomfortable, you know, making sure that employers respect hard boundaries and that they understand, look, this time is my time. But what I've found is when you're engaged and you're committed to your work and your clients, most employers absolutely respect that with no issue. So I do have a really good work-life balance at JDA. I feel very blessed right now. Uh, another challenge, and Sarah, I'm sure you've heard this from some of your your other uh, you know guests on the show, is oftentimes I'm the only woman in the room. This could be in the boardroom. This could be in the lunchroom. <laughs> this could be on a client engagement. And, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been in situations where I wasn't paid as much as a male counterpart. You, you can name any situation and I've seen it or I've, I've experienced all of the things that you read about or what most women have experienced who've worked for 15 or 20 years in the field. So one challenge, bias is real. Um, and I think that sometimes it's really hard for women to uh, talk about bias in the workplace. And the other side of it is that, you know, if I'm considered for anything, for a promotion, for a, a big client engagement, for brand activation or for an influencer gig, I want to be selected because I'm the best person. Not because I'm meeting a quota, you know, or you need some token woman at the table. And one lesson learned is as I've matured and experienced some of this bias in the workplace, so has my confidence. My confidence has matured. A big challenge has been that I've never been good at negotiating money or, you know, what my skills or services are worth. And I've learned that being upfront is always the best policy. So mentoring a few super talented emerging leaders, uh, women, in supply chain right now, I always encourage them to have the biggest cojones in the room, <laughs> but be, <laughs> right? But be polite in your approach. Uh, as Rumi says, the rain grows the flower, not the thunder. So as a woman in a male dominated field, you have to know your worth and challenge the status quo. Does this resonate with you, Sarah? Absolutely. Absolutely. I am. So I don't know if you know this, but I'm building um, a technology platform for supply chain. And I can tell you every single meeting that I go to, um, I am in a room with mostly men, um, whether it's for an investment standpoint, whether, whether it's from development, whether it's from you know um, just talking to shippers and, and the 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 individuals and the companies that I need to be a part of, of this platform and the collaboration that I need. Um, it's definitely, you know, I'm definitely the pretty much the only woman in the room. And, um, I would say that you definitely need those cojones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But be polite. We're, we're, we'll get to that. I, I think at some point we're going to just talk about some golden nuggets or advice, um, you know, for future or emerging leaders in the field. And, and, and I have some advice that's tied to that. 
Yeah, we'll get to that uh, in just a second. So I want to go back to your first point about, you know, the work-life balance. I actually, so I did the interview, your your episode's 27, but I did the interview for episode 29 this morning. And uh, so people will see in, in the next two episodes uh, my conversation with Graham. And I think that what we're seeing is that companies are being more open um, to that work-life balance. And I also think that they're, they're seeing the benefits as well, right? Because their, um, their internal teams are more engaged. Their internal teams are more productive. Right. And so we come in, our, especially in our industry, we come from that traditional space where, you know, you have to work until eight o'clock at night or, you know, you need to talk to overseas. So, you need to make sure that you're there at five o'clock in the morning and you need to grind it out and you need to hustle. And I think those days are gone. They are. And also even just going into a traditional nine to five workplace, I have a virtual role. I'm right now I'm in my home. I have a, I have an office that's devoted to, uh, to work. Um, and the door is closed. When I leave, I treat it just like I would a workplace, but uh, many, many companies, and, and as a strategic consultant, I'm going in, you know, different clients across the globe. Virtual roles are becoming very popular, very popular. So people don't have this traditional nine to five, um, you know, these guardrails anymore. So I think that also helps. It helps, you know, because, I mean, for example, this morning I was able to take my two youngest to a swimming lesson. I literally like 45 minutes in the morning, I took them to their lesson and I was, you know, right back working on a design for, for J and J soon after. The point is you need that flexibility. And when you offer that flexibility as an employer, you can attract the best talent. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt to ask either. Right. Which I think is super, super important for the next generation into supply chain. Exactly. Is that, and they're, you know, and I said this in another episode, they are more focused not on the money, but on their environment um, and, you know, what that's going to do for them and how that's going to lift them up and inspire them. And, you know, if that is how they are going to be the most productive and how they're going to be able to get the most out of their work-life balance, I mean, companies are really you know, struggling with this, but they're also being more open to it. So, so make sure that you ask that question. So let's get into advice. Um, what would you give the next generation coming into supply chain? Number one piece of advice is learn, learn as, as much as you can, as fast as you can and fail. Absolutely fail, fail often, try new things, explore. And when you do fail, fail fast and fail forward. And don't forget to wear killer shoes. <laughs> and get up quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, seriously. I, I mean, I've learned so much from when things didn't go as I hoped or expected. And it's hard to tell someone that, right? When you're in the thick of it, it's awful. It's awful. But growth happens in the dark. Oftentimes it's necessary and you have to keep going. And it's not the smartest or the strongest person who comes out on top consistently. It's always the person with grit, the person who's resilient and the person who can navigate change. So if you're going to do something right, do it. 
you know, put your heart into it. Try your best. All of it matters and keep going. Even when you think I can't possibly show up the next day, you know, I I have a colleague um, who I worked with uh, in a prior role and he's absolutely miserable and it breaks my heart because he's a great kid and he's so brilliant and I know the world is his oyster and he hasn't even tapped into his potential yet. But he gets, you know, he's in a situation where he, you know, feels like he's stuck in his job. And for whatever reason, and I could, I could explain, but I'll, I'll leave out his name to protect the innocent. I think that he isn't being his biggest advocate and he's not using the right words. So he's not communicating his value properly. And, you know, a golden nugget from my career is that you you really have to learn that not everything requires you to speak. (laughs) And when you do speak, no matter the situation, even if you have a boss that's an absolute tyrant that you hate, make sure your words are always respectful. You don't have to agree. You don't have to be a doormat, but be considerate. And this has helped me immensely in my career because your approach and how you meet others can define very critical points in your career. And I've met many, many brilliant people with foot in the mouth syndrome. (laughs) So before you speak, pause, ask yourself, is it the truth? Is it kind? And most importantly, is what I'm about to say necessary? I love that. Is it <laughs> necessary? Let's yes. just say that again. Is it necessary? Right. <laughs> I just need to put the emphasis on that. Um, but okay, let me put you on the spot for a minute. What was your biggest failure that you learned the most from? So there was a time in my career where I was supporting a lot of really uh, important strategic initiatives. And for various reasons, I felt like I wasn't getting the credit. And what I learned was that my approach was just wrong. I, I took it head on. You know, um, I talked to the person. I, I basically, um, asked for a promotion. Um, and I, when I say ask, I really mean demand. And what happened in that process was I learned that people can only meet you as deeply as they have met themselves. And this is a person who, uh, basically didn't have the same level of acumen in supply chain didn't really have the that fire in their belly to learn and the drive for continuous improvement. And that person was more in a state of protecting his or her turf. And it really had nothing to do with me. His or her reaction had nothing to do with me. You know, I perceived it as this is someone who's trying to keep me down and I'm doing their work. And that really wasn't wasn't what it was at all. Um, That was my perception. And when I tweaked the way that I responded to that, that environment, the world opened up to me. So I think 
I, I, I hope that some, some people that know me, that they're not trying to like triangulate this conversation and figure out exactly who and what I'm speaking of. But that was a big lessons learned for me because I was in a challenging environment and I just felt like I was hitting my head in a wall. And, you know, it wasn't that person. It was me. It was me. You can't change certain people in your, you know, in your work environment. Um, you, you have to be smart about it. And you'd be surprised when you change your approach, what happens? The universe speaks to that. Absolutely. And taking responsibility for yourself, because in the end, that's who you, that's the only person that you can take responsibility for. So exactly the circles of influence, what you can, can control and what you can't. Yeah. So let's get into the future of supply chain. What do you see as the future of supply chain? The future of supply chain. So I definitely see supply chain design enabled by connections. So the use of IoT, sensors, blockchain. Um, and I don't see the concept of this tightly integrated, you know, trading partnership. So there really wouldn't be a need for integrated ERP. Um, some of our friends at SAP might not like that, that answer, but that's what I think. Um, what I'm most excited about are zero waste supply chains that are regulated and fueled by concepts of circular economy. And you know, I'm super passionate about circular economy, Sarah. One day, I feel this will become the norm. There's already work happening in industry with Procter and Gamble and BASF. They have fantastic initiatives. They've proved the ROI. It's not just a proof of concept. Millions and millions and millions of dollars that are recaptured are fueling their circular initiatives. So, and, and what does that mean? It means viewing waste from one process as an input to another. This ensures that materials move through each process most efficiently. And number one, you start with a great product design. You know, when it comes to recovery and recycling, we pay an, an enormous amount of money to manage our trash. So let's repurpose what we've paid for, right? Both consumers and businesses. And this requires collaborative supply chains to op optimize material flows and in-depth information sharing. Um, I also see product lifecycle management. So lengthening a, pro a product's life uh, through repair and maintenance and more consideration around the relationship of design, how we source raw materials as an input, and then how we manufacture those goods. So, um, you know, I also see more women in leadership roles and um, sometimes men, in my opinion, they, they tend to see just A to B relationships where women we have a natural tendency to think A to D and then to Z and wait, wait a minute, how does that impact M and so on and so on. So um, at least this is what my husband tells me that we should expect to see more women in leadership roles because we naturally are inclined to think about system dynamics. Absolutely. And not just because we're women, though, but because we're the right person for the job. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, that's an important thing to note, you know, seeing more women in leadership, but also seeing more women in influencer positions, um, which is going to be key. It's also going to be very important moving into the future. And that sort of takes me into our last, I can't believe we're at the end of the interview. I've just loved having you on the show. So, but we are at our last question. I think you've got a big reveal. Um, this, this episode is not going to be out for two weeks. So, you might have already announced it by then, but since we're doing the episode today, you are announcing it for the first time. So what's next for you, Sherry, and where can people connect with you? Okay, so yeah, I, I just told Sarah she is the first person to know that I just signed a contract last night with IBM Watson Supply Chain. So I'll be a futurist and an influencer, and I am the first female influencer for IBM Watson Supply Chain. So um, very, very excited. Uh, I have a couple speaking engagements lined up. I'll be at the Gartner IT Expo in Orlando in October. If anyone's there, shoot me a message. I would be happy to meet you and speak with you. I'll also be speaking Saturday at the Chinese Association of Science and Technology on the future of supply chain. So I'm definitely staying busy. And if you'd like to connect with me, I'm on social media and LinkedIn. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for hashtag supply chain queen. And that's all one word, no spaces. And I, I love to hear from you. I have a super engaged network and we're a crew for sure. So um yeah, website is supplychainqueen.com. Sign up and awesome, say hi. Awesome, awesome. Well, I am so excited for you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do for IBM. And if you guys are going to be in the... Uh, at those, you know, events, make sure to go and see Sherry. So there you have it. We have heard views, advice, and about the future of supply chain from the one, the only supply chain queen. And you just took over the supply chain king Instagram as well. Um, so all of the information <laughs> will be av available at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 27. I will have all of the links to her social media, to her website, all of the information about her bio and the episode itself. So make sure to check it out. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. If you liked this episode, make sure to go back and listen to the other powerhouse women in part one through eight of this series. Their journeys are incredible and they share their challenges, advice, and so much more. If you're drowning in a sea of supply chain acronyms, make sure to take a look at my supply chain dictionary. It's 107 pages full of useful definitions to help you navigate. And you can find that at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. Remember to sign up at ships.com if you haven't done so already. We are just about to reach out to everybody and let them know what we're working on. So make sure to get your email address in there so that you will be one of the first to know. And again, remember Listener's Corner, 
Email me your questions. Email me your supply chain stories. That's listener at letstalksupplychain.com. And we will be talking about that at the beginning of every single episode. Rate and review the show on iTunes so other people can find us. Or you can share it with your coworkers um, using the share in your iTunes podcast app. Thank you so much for listening and supporting me and supporting the show. I appreciate it so much. If it's not for you. Um, I wouldn't be able to do this show. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have an amazing day. And remember everybody, ship happens. Ship happens.